0: Welcome to this episode of Stand Out, the podcast to better your business, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing
1: Professionals. Listen in, and you'll walk away with insights from exemplary members who share their business acumen and the newest ideas from authors and thought leaders relevant to the organizing and
0: productivity industry. And now, here's your host, longtime NAPO member,
1: Claire Kumar.
0: Hello again, I'm Productivity Catalyst, Claire Kumar, and I'm so happy to be the host of NAPO's podcast, Standout. It's the podcast where you learn to better your business, and sometimes that means bettering yourself. So I've interviewed so many interesting guests and members of NAPO over the years, but today I'm so excited because I'm bringing you... Joining us today is Harold Taylor, who's a pioneer in our industry, organizing and productivity expertise for over 45 years of speaking, writing, and training on effective time management. Harold has over 20 hardcover books, including Making Time Work For You, which was a Canadian bestseller. He sold over 50 time management products in over 38 countries. This is Harold by numbers. Right? Now, well into his 80s, Harold is still prolific. He's continuing to write ebooks, and you can find them all over at bookboon.com. But let me take you back a little. Harold is the past director of NAPO, receiving the Founder's Award in 1999. He also received the Founder's Award from professional organizers in Canada, and I think that was 2001. This award was subsequently renamed the Harold Taylor Award, and it holds special significance for me because... I have mine right here. I was lucky enough (laughs) in 2013 to be recognized for my contributions to the industry following in Harold's incredible footsteps. So I also attended one of Harold's really forward-thinking time management experiences with other time management educators. And this was in Toronto a few years ago now. And ever since then, I've kept in touch with Harold and What inspires me is not only how prolific he continues to be, but also how rich his life is. We recently got to chat on the Happy Space podcast, which if you've been listening along, you know I've been on my own podcasting journey. And we talked about how high sensitivity influenced Harold's life and career. And I know from speaking with lots of organizers and productivity peeps now, lots of NAPO chapter presentations, in fact, that it's about 50% of organizers and productivity people are also highly sensitive. So tune in, listen in today. I am so pleased and honored to have Harold Taylor with us today. Welcome to you, Harold.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Great to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. We're shooting this early morning, taking advantage of that wonderful morning energy. And I want to kick off by Tapping into your decades of experience in the productivity industry and asking you, what are you noticing that is consistent today about the challenges that people have had all through
1: your experience?
0: Is there anything that's that's really not changing?
1: Well, the one thing that's never changed is interruptions. My seminars, I used to start off with a, a questionnaire listing probably about 20 or 24 of the major time problems and interruptions was number 1 interruptions by ourselves interruptions by our boss interruptions by others and that related to lack of focus which is another one and that's the the case of us using our mind you know to concentrate on the task we're doing which is difficult with all these interruptions and it was bad back before the internet or digital you know <laughs> we never had any such thing as as facebook or or text messages, or email back when I was doing time management seminars.
0: Yeah. So people were complaining about what kind of interruptions then?
1: What was happening? Yeah. yeah, And there were walk-ins. We started off with offices, which is great, you know, and you close the door, but they'd come in through the windows, you know, or they, you know, they'd, they'd burst in and say, I realize you're busy, but, you know, or even worse still, are you busy, you know, and so on.
0: I'm seeing that today even, Harold, in some of the organizations that I work with. They have doors, but a lot of people are afraid to use them because of this, oh, I want to have an open door policy, right? So it practically meant that the door needed to stay open. I'm like, no, doors are your
1: friend. Yeah, that's right. That's how they misinterpreted way back when, 30, 40 years ago, is because uh, an open door policy did not mean you keep your door open all the time. Why have an office? It meant that you have it open at certain times. And that makes people get to know that, oh, the door is open. He must be available. And when you start on a task, not just an appointment with someone, you close the door and they realize you're busy. But you have to tell somebody outside your door, if you're in an office, when you're going to be available. That's right. So it goes along with
0: communication. Yeah. So (laughs) it's communication
1: too. If you don't know when you're going to be out, they'll come in after you. You know, that that's about it. Or what it. I'm
0: hearing from one client now is people are just assuming the person's not there because now we have remote work. So they just haven't even come in. So why bother even knocking? So now we're not even getting the connection
1: that we're hoping for. So,
0: yeah. So interruptions, walk-ins, telephone calls back in the day. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Phone calls. Unbelievable. Yeah. When well, I used to role play, you know, I would start off by role playing on stage, disorganized person. And the first thing I always had a desk with a telephone in basket, clutter, all that stuff that you have in an office. And that was, I would tell the client, this is what I need, you know, for my presentation. And I'd role play what what happens with the telephone. And I I told the story, and it's true, that when I was working at American Standard, one of my first jobs after graduation, I'd come in early because I'm keen, you know, and the phone would ring, and I'd pick it up. And I'd be running around crazy picking up phones. And the boss came in one time. He said, Harold, what are you doing? He saw me running around. And I said, it's just telephones. They never stopped ringing. He said, well, why why are you answering it? I said, I'm the only one here. (laughs) And he said, what are you doing here? I said, it's the only time I get any work done. Is you getting any work done? I said not with these telephones, and that was the sort of routine I had. There's nothing wrong with technology; it's just we did not adjust to technology. There's nothing wrong with interruptions, but we have to control the interruptions. In other words, I've advocated, and nobody paid attention to me. I don't blame them because you know I didn't <laughs> kind of a screwy guy anyway. But I always maintain that you have to have boundaries, and you you have to specifically set times to do your deep work. People call it today. We didn't call that deep work back in those days. It was just, you know, focus on the task that's a priority at the time and schedule an hour and a half for that. And I had an hour and a half way back when. Now, of course, it's been scientifically proven that 90 minutes is the ideal time, you know, the maximum time to focus. And anybody can wait 90 minutes. If it's an emergency, They'll come in, they'll send the fire department or or whatever, crash that, break down your door.
0: Yeah, I used to have when my kids were little and I was working at home, which was really helpful for me. I had a sign on my door so the kids would know. And it was, they under kind of understood, unless you're bleeding, you don't interrupt mom when she's working. You know, we had to have some parameters for what the boundaries were, right? Yeah, so it comes back down to... People being able to claim those boundaries. And in the coaching work that I do now, I see a lot of hesitation. First of all, people have not the phone necessarily because people are shyer to talk on the phone now. Maybe we'll do Zoom, but we'll set that up in a meeting so that's less random. But it's the notifications coming in, right? It's this constant interruption, it's the Slack channel. And, oh, but I I only let my boss interrupt me. Like, well, no, you're letting all of the notifications interrupt you. And now you're triaging. And now you're diverting your attention from what you wanted to do. There seems to be a real reticence to claim that 90 minutes.
1: Yeah. uh, What I say, though, is that you schedule 90 minutes and you do what you have to do. If you have a door, you close it. If you have an iPhone, you put it on airplane mode. If you have a landline, you, you put it on enable voice messaging, and you have all this thing so that it's up to you. You know What you're doing is not ignoring them. You're delaying them. You're going to handle the interruptions that come in, but you're going to you know, have an hour and a half of deep work and a half an hour of responding to all these messages. That puts you in control. In other words, it's like when you have a meeting, you don't let the person come into your office because it's hard to get them out. You go to their office and then you can walk out yourself and that ends the meeting. In other words, it puts you in control. And it's the same thing with telephones. If they phone you, they're going to ask this, 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 this. Now you're not phoning you during that half hour after that, you're phoning them. So you're a chair. You're the chairperson of that meeting on the telephone and you determine what you say and when it closes, and when you hang up because you have control. You made the call. You know, so it's the same with email. They send an email. You don't have to respond now. Instant email? Are you kidding? I mean, this is crazy.
0: It's exhausting. Well, and this whole concept of inbox zero, I know paralyzes people because I've had people in a training session and I can see the anxiety building and I'm like, is everything okay? I'm thinking about my inbox was the answer that came back. And I thought, oh dear, you know, there's a lot at play here. But yeah, I'm reading a book now called Golden. It's about the value of silence in a noisy world. And they're not just talking about the auditory, incoming input. They're talking about informational assaults and also the internal conversation. So it sounds like a real challenge is getting people to understand and buy into and then play the deep, I call it graceful defense, to be able to stay in that command and control position of their own time.
1: Yeah. You know, because what what you're doing when you respond to interruptions, it's like multitasking, right? You're going from one task back to an interrupt and back to the other task. And then you have that the attention residue problem and uh, the Garnick effect where your mind is still on the other thing, whether you're working on something else and you're less productive. And, you know, they have all kinds of problems with that. And multitasking is impossible anyway. It's actually task switching, right? you're switching back and forth from one task to another. My gosh, we used to do in seminars, we used to do the little things where you, you go from one, three, five minutes on this, and then five minutes on that job, and then five minutes on this other job you know, and then going back again versus doing them all in chunks. And my gosh, you you save half the time, you know, 50%. Yeah,
0: yeah. And you can see there's a quality and quantity issue usually, right? So, yeah, so to be effective. So all the people that are coaching around productivity or, or training around this, to be effective in helping some of this transformation in belief that this is a good thing to do, you actually had people demonstrate it to themselves through exercises.
1: They get their involvement. That's the same thing with, that's why I wanted people to pay attention to what I was saying. That's why I made a fool of myself up on the stage, you know?
0: Oh my gosh, I really want everyone, we're going to put a link in the show notes to this. So if you haven't seen a video of Harold bringing this to life, you really need to, because this is why Harold was a foremost speaker on stages talking about this too, because he really found an effective way to keep that audience engaged while teaching them really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, well... CAPS called it high risk speaking, you know, in other words, you could, you could look like a complete fool or you'd really grab their attention. You'd be a big success. You know, you take a chance on it. Well,
0: so just on that, cause there's a lot of speakers and I've been a member of the speaking for fees, thing in Napo for many years now for our speakers who are listening. It doesn't just happen that you've got this humorous way to do it. Could you share a little bit maybe about your process and why you decided to put humor in and and how you ended up, you know, doing being this high risk speaker?
1: Yeah, uh, I learned from CAPS and NSA in the states it was, uh, I joined NSA first, then CAPS started up so I joined that as well and I I just listen and get ideas and one person in the NSA said uh, that find out what everybody else is doing. And then do it differently. Do it in a different way. Be unique. And the other idea which you combined with that was be a specialist. In other words, you can't be an expert in everything. So pick one thing to focus on and do it so well. And you can because now you're doing all the research and focusing on I've done nothing but time management for 40 years, you know. So of course I can read all the books and what have you.
0: Yeah, we're, I was in a CAPS meeting last night. We had Shep Hyken joining us, who's a, quite a renowned speaker as well. And he was saying, yeah, think about, not talking about if your topic is the big topic of productivity, get more granular. So thinking of a fractal of a tree, don't even think of the branches. Think about really getting specific about the leaves. Like really specific. And that's what you make your YouTube videos about because people are asking specific questions and then they will find you from that
1: depth that you're talking about. And it's a marketing plus because, you know, in Canada, for instance, there are organizations know what they want. They're not dummies, not stupid. They have, you know, and they say, what do we really need? We really need somebody on time management because this is really, really an important and the same thing with stress or whatever you pick. And they say, well, Who do we have? And they go to the the bureaus, the speakers bureaus and what have you. And I was listed with the bureaus or the Internet now, you know, and they find out that, well, there's there's about twelve hundred people in Canada who do time management. But there's one guy that just does time management only. That's all he does. And, you know, people used to tell me you're crazy because if you speak to IBM on time management and that's all you do. They're not going to call you back. They're going to call somebody now on, on something else, you know, personal organizing or whatever. Well, I used to joke about it, I'd say it's a lot easier to get a new audience than a new speech. If I developed a talk, you know, in one topic, there's all kinds of companies that I could speak to. But what actually happened is, of course, the IBMs and the Arthur Andersons and all the other large organizations. Kept bringing me back because they've got thousands and thousands of employees. And you've got 30 people in each session. And so it's like almost a full time job with one organization if you wanted to make it that way. So I really do believe that you can't do everything, but you can do anything and you can do it really well if you concentrate on it. And it makes it a lot easier too. And as far as the humor is concerned, that was the part about do it differently. And I attended seminars. If you're going to do something, You participate in that. So I attended seminars and I attended talks and dinner meetings and, you know, all that stuff. And I thought, wow, that's a boring subject. Time management. They're talking about Parkinson's law and Pareto principle and the 80-20 rule and blah, 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 blah. And here we are. And we put the charts on and the PowerPoint slides. And wow, that's boring, you know. Yeah, I call it stick a fork in my eye productivity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you got to liven it up, and you know, then you, you learn when you're excited, when you're involved with it.
0: That's why you put it in. How did you learn the craft to put humor in? Were you watching Carol Burnett? Who like what, who who inspired you?
1: Yeah, I I did use. The, I loved all those things that the Carol Burnett show and Mary Tyler Moore and all the all the funny ones. Yeah, uh, you can develop it. I thought it was really, it was really funny. But also you, you look at the nature, like I was in a company and you have to look at yourself and say, isn't this stupid? What am I doing? You know? And I bet somebody else does that. If I do it, I'm not that stupid. Everybody is stupid, you know? So maybe they do it too. And when I tried it first, I tried that little toy when people laughed And they weren't laughing at me. They were laughing at themselves because they did the same thing. And oh, wow, is that great? And self-deprecating humor is the best. You don't make fun of somebody else. Somebody gets up and tells a joke or something. Well, everybody can tell jokes. But when you say something or or illustrate something that they themselves are involved with, you've got them right there. And they'll laugh. You know, people said, you've been in my closet or something, or you've been, you know, in my kitchen, what have you. You know, and when I opened the cabinet under the sink, these pots and pans rolled out to meet me, you know, and and I thought, oh, my gosh, we had a, a cast iron frying pan that was too heavy to lift, let alone use. We had, to, you know, an egg poacher that never saw an egg in its life. And we had all we had all these things that we'd never used, but they were there. And people say, wow, I got the same thing, you know?
0: Yeah. I talk about it in my leadership workshops, actually, what stories do you have as a leader of where things were not perfect? right? Yeah, and so right. you're yeah. demonstrating that because all of a sudden then you're human like me. Oh, I'm so relieved. Now I can identify with you and now I'm all in and I'm I'm listening and learning. That's so powerful. I believe in the the value of humor in there too. But I think what I'm hearing from you is it takes some craft. It takes some work yeah, to, to put, put that practice. together.
1: You know, I, I had 40 years after all to develop it. <laughs> <You> know, <and laughs> next year I'll be 88. So I'll I'm trying to Put some of the other ideas into practice. Then, if you look and say, but this is what I did to get out of it, you know, to get out of this problem with interruptions and crisis and so on. But I was quick to also add I'm not an expert saying there is one way to do this. I said, look, the only time management system that'll work for you is one you develop yourself or adapt to your own needs. Because we're all unique, we have different personalities, different work styles, different habits. And so what will work for Claire may not work for me.
0: Yeah, I've been using hashtag productivity as personal. So that's why you need custom attention sometimes. That's why you need to, you know, it helps to work with a coach for sure, but, or it also needs that reflection and really understanding yourself and what you're drawn to. So, so much opportunity in that. And liberation. I, I one of the things I talk about too is, and maybe, I don't know if you'll have noticed this, I don't think productivity has ever been well taught in schools. You've been lucky if you had a role model, but still today, I mean, my kids are, they're now 19 and 21. So, you know, with different evidence of, you know, demonstrating great productivity and time management skills. And, but I remember when they were in elementary school, they were given a, an agenda, which was about just about two centimeters thick and. That was quite a weight for a seven-year-old to carry back and forth to school, right? But it was an agenda. There was the ability to plan time in there, but it was predominantly for the school day, which was already planned. So, And they didn't use it. They didn't teach them how to think about time. They just used it as a very heavy note-taking device between the parent and home. And I thought, wow, there's such a missed opportunity. I know Leslie Josel, who most NAPO members will probably know. Harold, you probably know Leslie. She's out of the US and she's got a a raging business for academic planners. And, you know, helping. I think one of the things I talk about with my adult clients is that don't worry about feeling bad about not having a system. This has never been taught,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, you talked about that's specialization as well. You can specialize time management to the education field, to students. I've done sessions on time management for students. I had a publishing company in the States ask me to write a, a book, The Administrator's Guide to Personal Productivity, and it was for principals. You know, dear, I want you to write a book for principals, high school principals and public school principals on time management. That really threw me for a loop because I wasn't that specialized. But the same, the same things, you just pick up their jargon and understand what their job is, and you can relate it. Same thing with lawyers. There's a real market there for attorneys and stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing Phil M. Jones, who's an amazing speaker based out of the UK and the US, and he's developing, customizing his book, which is brilliant, exactly what to say, for real estate. And he'll be able to customize it for different verticals. And so selling over a million copies of the book now, I think. So yeah, the specialization. And then maybe what I'm hearing is, you know, there was an opportunity to specialize and dig deeper. And there was learning in there for you. And then you could take that approach and carry it forward. Does that have a part to play in... The 50 time management products in 38 countries, and I think maybe it's close to 40, if not more than 40 ebooks now on BookBoon?
1: Yeah, I've got 40. The 40th one hasn't been published yet. It'll probably be out in October because there's a time lag on them. But I'm always working on a book or two, and I try for four years. So I've been doing it for 10 years, and that worked out. So it's 40, 40 books so far for them you know, you get royalties, So it's kind of nice to supplement your old age pension when you get to be my age, you know, (laughs) because I don't charge for seminars or anything. I might do them free locally. I still talk as long as I'm able to talk and I still write. And yeah, and you get better at anything, you know, like writing. I couldn't write a word uh, when I started off, but I'd love to do it. And I kept on trying. And next thing you know, you're writing books and now I'm writing devotionals for the church and I'm writing a a column in the local newspaper, and I have my blog article, which people see. It used to be weekly. Now it's every second week because I'm having so many things I'm writing. And you get better and better at it because your brain is changing. It's like the taxi drivers. You heard of the taxi drivers in London where they the hippocampus was larger because they did the same thing so often. Boy, they could go any street in, in London, find any place they wanted to.
0: Yes, yeah, not the same with Uber no yeah <laughs> it's really <laughs> sure. not the
1: same well <laughs> no. and
0: and you know you raise such an interesting point because part of the reason i was so excited to speak with you is you've not only accomplished so much and from a business perspective tried so many things and been successful in it you're really a role model for living a rich fulfilling life i mean 87 years old now and still as interested and curious and motivated what do you think plays into that for you? Is this just the way you're wired? You're a hungry learner like I am, that, that you just like, oh, there's something I'm curious about it. I want to know more. What, what, what's your spark?
1: Yeah, I think so. I've written this one. You can see the title there How to Grow Older Without Growing Old. Oh, and yeah. as I, when I realized I was getting older, you know, I thought, uh, yeah, yeah, it's always having that curiosity, I guess. It's lifelong learning. Is one of the things to say. Well, what's what's the secret of aging? Well, it's lifelong learning. You know, you've got to keep on, you know, because it's your mind controls your body, not the opposite, you know. So, although there is a there's a an impact, of course, but it's amazing. You can get over cancer. You can get over whatever with the power of the mind. I mean, they have books on healing, right? The placebo.
0: Uh, oh, so so, so much power to changing your life and changing your mindset
1: and so yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you have to have a a purpose in life, and that's what it really is. What's your purpose? How do you articulate your purpose, or do you? My purpose is, I say that, on this how to grow older without growing old. I say that that old age is a destination. That's not my destination. I happen to be a Christian, and heaven is my destination. You know. I'm no hurry to get there, but, you know, that means I can be relaxed and take my time, but that's my destination. My purpose is to, wow, to, to learn m- more I can and spread this stuff around, you know, like, like manure in a field. Some of it may grow, some may not.
0: What brings you joy in that, in this spreading of, you know, all of this insight that you study and learn and synthesize and then spread?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe there's an ego factor in there as well, but you know, because I feel good to be able to do that. You read the li- any literature on it, and they'll tell you that you feel good when you do things. You know, they've had experiments where you know people, if they get something, they give something, they pass it on, right? They feel good. They feel good about it. they. They're more productive as well.
0: Yeah, I say you give to get. Yeah, yeah. We're so aligned because I talk about. I firmly believe everybody needs a fulfilling life and you need to figure out what you're excited to give and then you design your life to honor mind body and spirit so you can keep giving because that's how you keep getting and that's that's ultimately what keeps you going you're you just happy energizer buddy going, <laughs> going that's right through, right if you
1: don't you don't give any, it's like your it's like your clutter if you don't give any away, there's no space to get anything in you know so <laughs> That's why we have garage sales. We circulate the junk from one garage to another, but there's all, we're always intaking new things. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, it's been fun this week and last week. I've been asked to present how to get organized and stay organized. And it's been a while because more, I spend more time in productivity. But what joy in talking about that topic again and talking about, you know, the fact that we have a habit of acquiring but we don't necessarily have a habit of letting go. And as we age, we certainly hit a moment in time where we're like, oh, I don't need the same size property now and I don't have space for all these things. And there's a lightening process that needs to happen. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people who don't lighten until too late and then pass on that challenge to the children, which is, which
1: is tricky. Yeah, and even earning money. You know, some people... You get the money because it's a measurement of your success, really. It's not success. You know, success is enjoying what you do and getting new experiences. You might travel and play golf and do all these other things, you know.
0: I've come to define success as, I mean, it's using authentic skills to be in the service of others, but really, I think it's being able to spend time the way you want to.
1: Yeah, that's right. You're, You're free to do it. And you got money to give away too, you know. So Yeah, well.
0: yeah. So they say yeah. it's better
1: to give than to receive. It's better to give than receive mentally and physically and spiritually, you know, it, it really is, but you have to have it in order to give it, right? Well, that's it. And as for entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. And that's why the secret is I had other businesses besides this, an association management company and what have you. And you're attending meetings and doing this and doing that, like an organizer. We are trading our time for money. Well, I want my time free for other things. And so I said, I've got to develop products then that will bring me in the money, you know, and I can make money when I'm sleeping if I'd rather sleep my life away, but I don't want to do that. I want to get involved in other things. And so that's why I started the product line where it was just start out small, really. And accidentally, because I wanted to write. I used to write poetry as a kid. I never tell anybody that, you know, because that's a sissy thing. But I, I do that and write one-liners, you know, for for magazines and something. I wrote greeting cards, want to lose 10 ugly pounds, cut off your head, you know, things like that. And but nothing significant, you know, it paid me $5 here and $5 there. So I I wrote, I had to write a series of articles free for this publication in Toronto, Toronto business. I think they're out of business now, probably because of my articles. And I would, I would write, it was a weekly, so I wrote one every week. But I wrote it as though I were writing a book. I'm going to write on why do we need time management? What are the benefits of time management? So on and so forth, gone. So but each one, and then when I got to about thirty six articles, I split it into chapters. I put all the articles together, And that best-selling book was actually articles to start with, and I just made a transition from one, you know, one set of three articles to another set of three articles for the chapters.
0: Did you have that in mind when you started writing the article
1: Yeah. 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 Because at that time I didn't have the self-discipline to sit down and write a book. But I can write an article. I'm feeling
0: people nodding.
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> you know I, I started even before that because the first product ever had was a newsletter. And in those days there were hard copy newsletters. No such thing as digital. Yeah right? So yeah. I had a hard copy newsletter and I'd I'd send it It's a six page newsletter that I sold subscriptions to. And it was idea, time management tips, time management quotes, training section on time management, you know, the, you know, broken down in the sections. And I was published that for years and years and years. And I, I'm not sure what it was, $50 a year or something initially, and then, then went up in price. This was and the membership
0: I, program back yeah. in the
1: day. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and newsletters were really big then, and I actually – Some publishing company took it over, they bought it from me, and then I bought it back after that a few years later. So it was quite successful. And then when it came out online, and digital came, wow, that's amazing. Now it can be an electronic newsletter, right? But I took those ideas where I had time tips and so on and put them together to make an article. All the tips that revolved around, let's say, organizing a house or something or a home or a bedroom. And the ones that I had in terms of delegation, I'd write on delegation and time management. That became an article on, let's say, delegation: how to delegate effectively, or the importance of delegation. And so it started with little things like that, you know, one-liners, Twitter. You know, I did used to put these tweets out all the time, and some of them made sense. So I took the ones that made sense, and I. You know, put them all together and I got a good, nice article on that section from the tweets back way back when, when it was limited to 40 characters and so on. You know, that's all you could put on.
0: Yeah. Your, your poetry as a child then, was it training for, for Twitter later yeah, on? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I sold items too, you know, with socks up my ankles. I found myself thinking the wife has the power of positive drinking and they'd buy it for a little filler, you know. So it was good practice, really. But you start small. And time passes. Some say it passes too quickly, you know, but time passes. So if you're doing something while it passes, when you're up to here, 20 years goes like that. But now you have got a skill that you can really use and you find out you're only 45 years old or something. You know, my gosh, you're only halfway there. That's right. The rest is is all, all gravy. So, you know, just small things. And when the flash drives came out, wow, was that a boom.
0: I bought one. I bought your flash drive with I don't know how many articles and yeah, things I on had, it, right?
1: I had them for resource kits for teleseminars. I had one for, I recorded, hey, free, freeconferencecall.com came out, right? And my gosh, I can do a, a teleseminar online and it can be recorded and I can put it on an MP3, I guess at the call, there's an MP3 or MP4. I'm not sure. MP3
0: for audio, MP4 for video. Yeah, so yeah.
1: MP3s. Yeah. And I had a, the so I developed a little oh, four-page or eight-page workbook for people to follow as they listen to it and so on.
0: So would you say when technology came out, you looked at it and you thought, "Ha, ah, how can I use this?
1: You were an yeah. early adopter, would you say? Oh, I'm an early adopter. In fact, they, they had things they never heard of before. I phoned one. I'm not sure it was a free conference call, but it was one of these things where you get a, a free voicemail box, you know? So if you have, a, they phone this number and leave a message for you. And I said, how long can that message be? And I said, well, I don't know. Whatever message you want to leave. I said, could I leave a 20-minute message or a half-hour message? Well, I guess so. But I don't know why you want to do that. Nobody would listen to it. Well, that message is a seminar. So I would give a phone number to somebody, and they can phone in and listen to that teleseminar. And I did that. I didn't proceed much with it. I did it, but I, st- I still get these. Answers from these free conference call.com is still in existence, I guess, because I still get <laughs> some messages. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> wow. But anyway, but anyway, those yeah. kind of things. So you, yeah. you you think about how can you use it and be the first to, to do that. Other people will develop it more sophistication, than everything else, but it's nice to be first.
0: I'm taking that away. I'm taking so much away from this conversation from Some of the problems are still the same, but the flavor is different. Your commitment to learning, your commitment to studying and practicing and figuring out how to continue to be of service, the reciprocity and this, you know, it's nice to be first.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. You know, like even now I have, I still have a a website, but what I wanted to do is get rid of all the hard copy products. Eventually, I did. I had my own planner, as you know. The Taylor Planner was a big success. And then I had the personal organizer, which held the sections in. One section for recording phone calls. Write while you're on the phone. Because in those days, you need to. Because they come in. They see you're writing. They think you're busy. <laughs> no, you're just listening on the phone. But if you're listening on the phone, and they come in, oh, help. And they whisper to you or something else or put, scratch the paper in front of you. And I thought, what? And that idea is still a good idea. You know, after forty years. But I put it in an organizer, those forms for that. And delegation forms. I even lose track of the fact used to lose track of the fact that I delegated to somebody. And the customer asked me, Oh, I forgot about that. I think Joan's doing that. And I phoned Joan. Well, put it down, what it is, when you delegate it, what the deadline is. Who's you know, got it now? Reu- who's got the result- pl-
0: who's spinning the yeah. plate
1: today? Right? And what the results were. And then you can use that during performance appraisal time instead of saying you're always making mistakes you've got the mistakes you know or, or you're i love the way you do such and such and you give them good examples to reinforce it from that notebook and i had this, this thing developed as well but they're all they cost a fortune to make these things up but you know words cost nothing you know and then digital it's amazing it opens a whole new field so right now i, I even with these things i put well there's my light, latest one god-centered time management I write these things because I love to write and I love to write certain topics and slowing down the speed of life. So, you know, because things, time goes faster as you get older. Why is that? Ah, I researched that for a few years. That was really interesting, you know? And so those I put on, but I don't want to put them on a hard copy. I put them on as a PDF and they can download it for four ninety five. But the thing is, you know, I have to get rid of the hard copies I I bought. So I include that as well you know but very very few are hard copy and I you know you price them so that encourage them to download it you know yeah
0: I see that now with Kindle $7.99 digital Kindle version
1: $14.99 hardcover
0: or yeah. softcover I would say yeah, yeah.
1: or some of the books I buy like $24, $28, $32, $34 for a card copy I still buy hard copies because I'm the old school, you know, and I highlight and make, write notes in it and everything else. People are, don't want to crease their pages. My gosh, mine look, I'll never resell my books. I throw them in the garbage after because they're written on, oh, this gives me an idea. Oh, I could use this on no such and such. And then you run through it and pick out those ideas. And I say, people read a book and toss it aside and they forget what's in it. I make notes on every book that I, I write. And I make sure I get a couple of articles out of it, too, you know, based on ideas I got from that book. So you you utilize it. Never throw any material away. I taught at Humber College for eight years. I prepared like crazy because I'm from industry, you know, and I got to set up this course on organizational development or something. So I research and I read and I make these notes and things else. When I left Humber College, I had nothing from that. I prepare a lesson and throw it away. I mean, it's so stupid. Now, I don't throw anything away. They call me a pack rat. Yes, I'm a pack rat. But by God, yeah, I got, I got, still got hard copy files here. And I'm still getting articles from them as well, you know. I do comb them out all, so often, throw them away, throw them away. But no, I... I I get ideas from. I keep things.
0: Well, I'm imagining I could write an article just based on our conversation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I> we're <laughs> supposed to talk about time management. We're talking about now about <laughs> business, right? But, but, but no. But this,
0: that was my hope. Actually, is that we would have a conversation and share some of the secrets and the strategies that you've had to have such a prolific and impactful career. And also to understand how you stay so excited. I mean, I think there's some people that get bored and think, oh, I need to try something else. I need to move on. But what you're an example of is just digging deeper and staying up with technology. There's all kinds of learning and innovation in there and even looking at the different markets. So there's lots of ways to expand.
1: Oh, yeah. And it's fun when you're learning, too. Like I just recently, I that book I wrote on, oh, I just wrote a book on how to develop character for Book Boone. How to develop character. And I started with, with in terms of how do you motivate employees? Well, they're behavioral scientists, you know, Hertzberg and, you know, McGregor's Theory X, Theory Y and Rensseldlick and so on. Well, Frederick Hertzberg, and I know he gave us a, a talk in Toronto one time when I was at American Standard. No, I was teaching at Hummer College, sorry, at the time. He has this theory of hygiene motivation theory. And he has, look, things like money and pay increases and, you know, fringe benefits and types supervision and so on. They're all hygiene factors. They don't motivate you, but they'll work against you if you don't supply them. It's like garbage, you know? If you don't throw out the garbage, you get sick. But if you throw it out, you don't get well. You know, I mean, it's not something that makes you feel better. And that's it. But the motivators are the job itself and challenge and recognition and opportunity for advancement and so on. But what looked at when I that was fine back in those days in the 50s and early 60s. But I looked at now and I say, well, people, they don't quit companies. They quit people. They quit the super. They hate the supervisor. You know, I'm writing a book now on how to love your job you know how to love the job you hate is my working title on the thing you know and they don't hate the company they hate the person they work for and so on and he's got that thing down supervision is on the wrong i think he's got that on the wrong side supervision is a motivator well how didn't he pick up on that because You've got to have trust that these things, that you'll get the opportunity for advancement, that you will get promotion, that you will you know. get. This is in the future. The employees are in the now. What is it? Well, it's position. And you say, well, it's position leadership, position power versus personal power. Do they obey me because I'm the supervisor? Or do they obey me because they really like Harold? I mean, he has a sincere interest in me. He asks me about my kids. He never forgets my birthday what he says he means he'll take my back when I am in problems I'd go through hell through him you know for him yeah and that's character that's character that's trust that's integrity that's that's magnetic in the right way it's going to draw people to you rather than repel them that's going to motivate people that's what develops culture you talk about culture it's the personality of the supervisors but maybe I said because I've written a few articles on that too. I'm not sure whether it's in King's County Record or whether it's on my blog article, but about, hey, Hertzberg didn't have that information available because it was always thought that personality was fixed. You get something like 30 or 40, 50% from your inherited from your parents and the rest are from experiences and so on and so forth, you know? And then by the time you're you know, a teenager and so on, your character has been formed. And you're, you're either a, a jerk or a real nice, affable person, right? And that's what I thought. But now they say, no, it can be developed. It can be changed. Your genes can be changed, you know, by intentional focus and by your behavior. Sure, the environment affects it, but you can create an internal environment. I mean, how do you, hey, I'm happy, I'm joyful, and I'm, uh, I'm an old man. I mean, why? Well, because I tell myself I'm happy. And I laugh, and I make jokes of things. And I, I, I fell on the ice about, about three years ago since I came here and, you know, hit my head and had brain surgery because it had bleed and everything else. And boy, does that give me stories to tell about, you know, because <laughs> I survived. And I probably survived because I have a good attitude. I was only in the hospital for a couple of days after the surgery, you know, and they said, oh, we're going to let you out and so on.
0: My, girlfriend, <laughs> yeah.
1: my girlfriend's a nurse, by the way. So, you know, she's had 47 years experience as a nurse. Have a girlfriend at my age? Yeah. Well, yeah, I have a lady friend. You know, yeah. And it's great. Because, you know, you have to keep on living. Your spouse passes away and you still love your spouse. But, hey, I'm not in heaven yet or the opposite place, depending on what God decides. So I'm going to make the best of my life.
0: Well, that's it. It's attitude. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you're a, a living example of making the best of life. And that's why we're so drawn to speak to you and to keep in touch with you. I've just, yeah, I adore you, Harold, I, <laughs> and I'm sure that everybody listening is totally understanding why and where that came from.
1: Well, I got great ideas from you too, Claire. As you, as I, I mentioned that one time, I put it in the, in the article about clutter. You know, because I also said so was cluttered. I, I didn't think you should have clutter. But that process clutter is what I have. I, when I'm do, writing a book, I've got stuff all over the place. You know, books high here and everything else. That's clutter. That's process clutter. And when it's over, boom, 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 goes back in its place again. Until I write another book, and then out comes all the clutter. You know, all the accumulated hard copy files and the, you know the electronic e-files on my screen, so on and so forth. And that was a great idea. That's what you learn from other people. You learn from one another. I think so. I think so. And
0: and you've got this ability of synthesizing it and then putting it out there again and sharing ideas. And I think you're just a master of how to do that and how to do that successfully and that merges with your life to lead to this fulfilling life. So so Harold, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with me. We're going to round out this interview now here, but I always love to encourage people to check out the YouTube channel for Naples podcast standout because there's a bonus question there. So I'm going to thank Harold now and invite you to to, if you haven't been watching this on YouTube, to consider popping over because there'll be one more juicy tidbit over there. As always, please let us know what you think of the podcast. Harold would love to hear too. We'll be tagging Harold in the posts when this goes live. And let us know what you think. If you had questions, comments, if what nugget in the wisdom that you just heard resonates with you. We'd love to hear that. And as always, stay safe, be kind, and enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Standout, brought to you by
1: NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit NAPO.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local
0: chapters, and more.